Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Dr. John Mike. Um, I'm an assistant professor in exercise science, strength coach, writer, um, speaker, strongman competitor, and the world's largest pancake eater. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> you know, we share that, brother. I I love pancakes. I, sometimes too. I'll try to health them up a little, and sometimes not, frankly. But you know, sometimes I'll throw a little bit of like soluble fiber powder in there. You know, like a fiber sure. Yeah, they make them. Um, um, I, I don't. You can certainly buy them in stores, but you can get them off Amazon. These protein pancakes, and they're really good. Yeah, I, I just use powder from a can. I mean, I just use my usual whey or casein. Yeah, that's powder. probably better because usually the protein pancakes that I've seen. And stores are offline, like they don't come in like large quantities, if you will. Yeah. Um, yep. So just use your whey and throw some grass-fed butter on there and mix it Ooh. with some blackberries and, you know, and some eggs and some bacon and some orange juice Good or to whatever go. it is. Hey, you're ready to go. Oh, yeah. That sounds perfect, man. I know you and I could, you know, I'm not a very big person, but I have destroyed some buffets before. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely funny. Okay. Let's. We're going to start with some news, everyone. Phil is on the road again at another meet. He promises that he's not going to do this forever. I think this is his last meet until July, maybe. Strength and muscle sport news. Um, but so, uh, Doctor Mike and I are going to handle this stuff. We've got some news, and then the topic of the day after we go to break is going to be bad idea, good idea. So we'll share some things that aren't just um, theoretical. They're actually things that we've screwed up on or that we've done well. And, you know, maybe some of you can benefit from our experiences so you don't have to go through that as well. Um, Okay. So the first one, actually, both of our news bits were sent from listeners today. I set aside some of my usual pile so we could get to these. This first one is from Karen. And Karen, you know who you are. Uh, extended rest between weightlifting sets could help muscle growth. So this is from Science Daily and the University of um, Birmingham. It says researchers at the University of Birmingham have found that extended rest intervals between sets of weightlifting could help with muscle growth. Um, This has been published in, let's see, Experimental Physiology. Uh, The first author was McKendry. But it says, let's see, the findings published in Experimental Physiology go against the conventional belief that favors shorter periods of rest. Now, I'm not sure that that's conventional belief, but it depends on your goals maybe. But uh, what they did was they took 16 males. They had them complete resistance exercise interspersed with either one minute or five minutes of rest. Then they took biopsies uh, immediately after finishing at four hours, uh, 24 hours and 28 hours post-exercise. So a lot of people might know this, but that's sort of the sweet spot for elevated muscle protein synthesis after a stimulus. Um, and then they analyzed it for myofibrillar protein synthesis and for different kind of cellular signaling. Uh, let's see. In the early part of recovery, the increase in muscle protein synthesis from resting levels above rest was twofold greater in those that had the longer rest periods. Uh, They saw 152% increase in muscle protein synthesis with the five-minute rests and only a 76% increase in muscle protein synthesis with those shorter one-minute rest periods. So it says Dr. Lee Breen from uh, that same university, he explained that with short rests of one minute, though the hormonal response is superior with the short rest, the actual muscle response is blunted compared to the longer rest periods. So thank you, Karen. I hadn't seen anything about that. Uh, I imagine there's a lot of different programming, you know, intensity and movement and other things that go into play here. But I don't know, John, what do you think about that? Longer rests, more growth. Um, yeah, and I mean, it really goes back to um, the earlier days, uh, like in the early 90s, um, with guys like Bill Kramer and Fleck and 
um, Hockenden um, yep. out of out of uh, their studies. Well, of course, you know Bill Kramer. You know when he was at UConn years ago. Now he's been at Ohio State and Hockenden out of uh, you know Finland. Yep. In the earlier days, you know we talked about growth hormone and testosterone um, hormonal releases and responses with resistance exercise. It used to be that like growth hormone with shorter rest periods would get you know elicited more. Like I said, with shorter rest periods, and then increases in testosterone. Would increase more with like longer rest periods or heavier but loads, it, it, yeah. right? In the in the more recent years, if you look at if you look at the science from Stu Phillips's group, um, they've actually come out and, and just kind of um, I don't want to say debunked, but they really challenged um, those those theories um, from from Bill Kramer um, and his colleagues, and basically saying that you know you're going to have you're going to have increases in hormonal response, but yes, it depends on so many different things, not only from like a you know, internal environment, so to speak, but just, you know, sleep and nutrition and recovery. And, and really, you know, just because you get uh, or using higher, heavier loads, it doesn't automatically guarantee that you're going to get surges in testosterone or even growth hormone because there's so many individual different responses. Um, and, and even just from a nutritional perspective, that can affect hormonal binding, for example. Right. Um, and, yep. and strength and binding and receptor activity. And, uh, you know, I've talked about that in one of my advanced exercise fizz classes on, on hormonal responses to exercise, and I mentioned this exact same thing. And, you know, it's all about receptor activity, and the more receptors you have, the more receptor sites, the, the better and stronger binding that you have, and it creates better what's called upregulation. So it just creates a better, more stronger hormonal environment for, like, anabolism. Right. You know? And you know what, John? Uh, just from my perspective, too, as I look at this, I mean – I've been reading some stuff about micro RNA and uh, there are different pathways at work here. And so we can't pretend that anabolic hormones are the only thing at work, you know, as far as right. stimulating mTOR and all this. Cause I think that's kind of the point that they're making here is the shorter rest periods are superior for just sheer hormonal secretion, maybe, or concentrations in your blood. But, uh, something else is going on. I mean, that, the outcome variable being muscle protein synthesis, regardless of what's stimulating it, like you said, hormones, nutrients, whatever part of these pathways, seems to be enhanced more with the longer rest. In, in some ways, I feel a little vindicated because I have always been much more prone to hitting it pretty hard and heavy and then waiting three to five minutes between my yeah, sets. Yeah, and some of, that, some, of that, some of the rest time periods actually go back to more of a Again, a physiological response with a replenishment of like phosphocreatine, creatine um, stores, and specifically, even like from the late seventies. I mean, you would you would see stuff that, you know, replenishment of phosphocreatine stores take you know two to three minutes. So yep, some of that yep. some of that has to do with that uh, also. But if you also look at things like cortisol, um, there was a there was a some a couple of really great papers from Stu Phillips's group in uh, like West. From there, from there, um, you know, university at, at McMaster, and talk about people talk about like short term increases in cortisol, and people talk about cortisol like it's just all of a fucking bad, bad, thing, right? You know, yep. and, and I'm just like, you know, either either you've been living in a box, you know, for the last you know ten years, or you need to, you know, you're not well versed in some of the newer science, but some of the the newer science on cortisol is that yes, it's it is catabolic in nature, okay. But when it comes to resistance exercise, short-term increases in cortisol are actually not catabolic. They're more associated with increases in hypertrophy. Associated, and, right. And, and, yeah, and lean, hypertrophy and lean body mass because of the stress-induced response um, from training. Right. And so when you think of just the mechanisms to facilitate hypertrophy, you know, mechanical tension or time under tension, metabolic stress and muscle damage, you know, the metabolic stress is, is also um, coincides with just like the reduced rest periods, for example, and, you know, more lactate involvement and more just overall metabolic stress, you know, to, you know, to the system. Right. You so, know what? I think from a sort of a lay perspective, when you see elevated cortisol, because I remember uh, Mike Nelson was talking about that paper from Stu's group about, wow, there's actually a, an association, there's a correlation between cortisol and muscle growth, and it's a positive one. It's not negative like you might right. expect. And I, like you said, I think whether it's lactate production, and that's more acute, of course, or cortisol, uh, acute or chronic, these are indicators that you busted your ass in the gym. Right. You know, so, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, oh, let me ask you one other thing since I, I've got you on this week. Have you seen anything? Because I have not. Nick Bird says those data are out there, I believe. But 
the muscle protein synthesis time course, wouldn't it be extended beyond the 24 to 36 hours when you did a lot of eccentric, I mean, you got a lot of eccentric muscle damage. You know what I'm talking about? You would think that that whole time course would be extended more than the usual 24 to 36 hours that we hear about. In your dissertation, because I know you just did a lot of work with eccentrics, did you see anything about MPS or no? Uh, A few things, actually, yeah. But on the the whole, it's not a very large data set, if if you will. Um, And there's really... That, um, that and eccentrics and immune response and activity, both of those kind of subtopics, if you will, are very kind of limited in scope in terms of just like the pure eccentric activity. But we've talked about this several times before with eccentric training. I mean, the, one of the biggest downsides is that you get more muscle damage, you get more sore, <clears throat> but all of that really depends on how much volume that you're doing with whatever eccentric activity that that you're doing at yep. the time. If you're doing, if you're training, you know, say four days a week, and all of your workouts are are emphasizing eccentric duration, say three to five seconds for every exercise, then yeah, you're going to have a more soreness and more accumulative effect on muscle soreness and damage. By that regard, you you will be extending out the time course release. You know, for recovery and yeah, you know, remodeling, yeah, synthesis because those processes are very expensive, like metabolically. They take, they take a lot of energy, um, you know, to, to go through those mm-hmm. things. So, um, you know, but it, but it again, it, it depends because some people are very sensitive to uh, eccentric training. Um, they're very sensitive to muscle soreness and damage, and some people are not. Some people can do more and get away with it, and they're not really sore. Um, right. you know, so, and that, and it goes back to just, you know, the recovery and nutrition and all these other factors. So, um, I haven't seen, I've seen some, but I haven't seen a, a large, um, data set on the effects of like extended time to muscle proteins. In the right. Disease. Nothing definitive then. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Cause all I know is simple. Again, you know, we were talking before we hit record, of course. Um, and we often do you and I about balancing science with, in the gym experience. And I can tell you that some days, like, you know, if I were to do enough volume and get really rocked, especially if I'm focusing on the negatives, there's no way my, like the protein synthesis in my quads and glutes and hammies are only elevated for 24 hours. You know what I mean? There's no way because I'm rocked for three days. And you got to think that that's like you said. It's it's a uh, element of hypermetabolism because it's energy costly. There's a lot of immune system involvement, and there's the subsequent metabolic damage and all this stuff. And I, I don't know. I, I just think the time course would be extended. It might call for uh, an extra day yeah, of recovery tell, stuff like I that. I tell you, I tell you what you can do to uh, you know for those. It seems rather silly, but for those that uh, like to do calf work, and I don't do as much direct calf work. Um, as I as I used to, I, mean, I still do. Um, but is to do like seated or standing calf raises and go down for. You can either do one or two things. I will start out with one um, aspect before you you kind of double up. But I would go. I would do a three to five second hold at the bottom stretch mm-hmm. for seated or standing calf raises and just do as many reps as you can. Maybe close to failure. If you want to really kick things up a notch, do a three to five second eccentric on standing or seated cab raises plus a three to five second isometric hold at the bottom. And if one of those doesn't do it for you, then do both of them. And I swear your calves will be sore for five days. Right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because if you think about force absorbing properties, you know, in, in, in the muscle, I mean, your, your, your calves and your Achilles tendon do so much work. I mean, it's just like they're, they're just constantly going. And, and I, and I was talking about this, um, with a buddy of mine, uh, Paul Carter, um, he suggested that I try it because we're talking about force absorbing properties. But if you want to kind of have or kind of release those absorbing properties, then do like a three to five second isometric hold, you know, at the bottom. Yeah. To really see some growth development like in your calves. And you can do it with probably arms and stuff too, or, or other types of exercises, but, but try, but try calves and, and let me, and let us know, uh, you know, uh, how you feel and what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to bring all this together, right? Obviously, there's the type of contraction. There's a lot of things that go into this other than just the one versus five minutes of rest sort of thing, right. you know. But it, it is it is interesting though that when they control for the other things, more rest may be helpful regardless of the hormonal thing. 
Um, okay, this next one was uh, from David, who is a farm D, and you know who you are, David. And he sent uh, sort of a warning, really, for uh, other listeners, because he's really the expert on this. But this is an FDA safety communication. It says the FDA advises restricting fluoroquinolone antibiotic use for certain uncomplicated infections. And they warn about the disabling side effects that can occur. So my concern with this, and I think David's might be, that you could have a lifter who's taking uh, one of these meds like Cipro, and there's a couple different things on the list here, but um, for an infection, and they can weaken their tendons and maybe even, in a worst-case scenario, end up with a rupture. It says, let's see here, um, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is advising that the serious side effects associated with fluoroquinolone antibacterial drugs generally outweigh the benefits uh, in patients who are being treated for stuff like sinusitis, bronchitis, uncomplicated urinary tract infections. It says these side effects involve tendons, muscles, joints, nerves, and the central nervous system. Kind of, uh, they kind of warn like um, Cipro or Ciprofloxacin or Floxacin or mm-hmm. whatever, how you call it. Some of these, some of these drugs, their names are just... <laughs> Impossible. They always, yeah, I know. They always trip me out, uh, whoever comes up with these names. But um, I just say like Cipro, um, they kind of warn that. Um, and I, I've heard of the drug... Um, and they warn of like increased risk of tendonitis, excuse me, uh, like tendon ruptures, um, especially people that may be like older than like 55 or 60. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things I think um, is, is kind of important to say is that so many, even some of these drugs that can increase risk of like injury or tendonitis um, or tendon rupture, they can likely affect people that are younger too. But, you know, typically when you're younger, I mean, you have overall you have just healthier joints, healthier tendon, more hydrated tissues. Form. Yeah, you're more hydrated tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but they said for people that are maybe older than 55 oh, or, or 60, um, you know, and then those that it may affect. Uh, they talked about 2013 FDA warns that Cipro um, for quinolones um, may trigger, um, you know, seizures um, or lower a lower threshold a seizure threshold oh wow uh, that may cause maybe central nervous system types of side effects like he- headaches and dizziness and some of these other things but um, um yeah. so yeah i mean it's uh it's certainly to uh you know understand um you know all drugs have side effects um even you know drugs that people take you know on a regular basis i mean caffeine i mean that's a drug i mean those have side, you know side absolutely effects. yeah well this to your cns point of view here it says some of the signs and symptoms uh that you're you know responding badly or having some side effects here include uh like like we said tendon joint and muscle pain also pins and needles tingling or pricking sensations and then confusion and even hallucinations so yeah. apparently they affect your central nervous system uh, quite a bit as well so just i guess all we're saying is you, you should probably check with your doctor if you're being treated um with this class of drugs, these fluoroquinolone drugs, stuff like Cipro, Leviquin, uh, off afloxacin, <laughs> I can barely pronounce some of these myself. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, check with your doctor because God, you don't want to go putting in a you know heavy set in the gym or doing something like you know John was just talking about with bouncing or doing isometric at the bottom of a um, calf movement, and you're like, oh shit, my Achilles let go, you know, right? Because oh, yeah, you're on yeah, this yeah. med. Oh, Anyway, yeah, that's scary stuff. So thanks, David, for letting us know. All right. I have one last thing, uh, really two, but one last bit from a listener before we go to break here. Uh, this is um, this is a difficult question, and we'll see if uh, Dr. Mike and I can't answer this. This is from Dustin, and we'll just leave it at that. Hey, Dr. Lowry, I've been a longtime listener of the show. It's definitely one of my favorites. I just recently came across this oddity in my personal experience. He said, but I know I'm N equals one. (laughs) So that's funny. Uh, For background, I'm lactose intolerant or some variation of that. And by that, I mean some forms of dairy literally knock the shit out of me like diarrhea and gas and others seem to be perfectly fine. And, you know, I can identify with this, actually. Um, I avoid cheese unless it's super aged. I avoid milk, pizza, uh, And my symptoms can usually be controlled with a lactate or two, 
but not always with, you know, some of these things. Uh, I do heavy cream in my coffee every morning and I have no ill effects from that. And I'm not surprised by that, right? You're talking about something that's much more fatty and less on the lactose and, and carb side. Anyway, whey protein powders, even those that claim to be lactose free or that include lactase in them, all destroy me. Even if I supplement with an extra lactate or two, the term I generally use is they make me shit like a goose. So he said, I know that's too much info, but you know, sometimes it's not just gas. And you know, dude, Dustin, trust me, I, I, I actually know a lactose intolerance researcher and the way he collects his data would shock you. <laughs> so, right. um, he says, if I add that protein to hot, but not too hot coffee, I'm actually fine. If the coffee's too hot, the protein clumps into concrete and it's probably no good. And then he says, is it killing the stuff? Uh, not sure, but it becomes too drinkable, undrinkable if the coffee's too hot. Uh, if the coffee is just hot enough, the protein blends in. It becomes a tasty like coffee chocolate or, you know, shake almost. And even without any extra lactate tablets, I'm fine. Totally fine. Uh, I experimented with doing this with just water to see if that worked. So he's kind of controlling now. He's, he's looking at temperature, but controlling for the, the medium here. And um, essentially, it did not, as I understand it. Uh, so essentially, I think the question is, why does mixing his protein with coffee stabilize the protein or do something to the protein or the the lactose intolerance you know, and make it tolerable? Whereas, you know, water doesn't do it. Here's my thoughts on this. Um, I'm going to have to ask a few biochemist friends of mine about this. I've been meaning to do this, but <clears throat> proteins denature when they are exposed to heat or acid. And when I say denature, I mean, think about protein as big chains of amino acids, and they just get sort of unraveled or bent and kinked in different ways. And that's why you see that protein clump in really hot coffee. You're cooking it. Now, the truth is, you're not destroying the value of it entirely. You're still getting all those amino acids. You're not destroying individual amino acids. Uh, but you, you might change its digestion rate and some of, some of its properties. You might lose some specific peptides maybe or, you know, uh, links uh, a few amino acids long. But the point being is you're not ruining it. It's just unpleasant and kind of undrinkable. Now, why coffee might help you uh, and hot water doesn't? There's only two things I could come up with, and I'm totally speculating. But one is there are acids in coffee that might be denaturing something in that protein powder that the hot water could not. Again, things denature and change uh, in acidic environments differently maybe than in a heat environment. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to check, again, with some biochemistry friends of mine about that. The other thing, though, other than some of the acids in the coffee, like chlorogenic acid and something like that, is that we know that the substances in coffee affect colonic motility. They affect the rate at which things move through your large intestines and that sort of thing. And that might have something to do with it as well. Uh, like I said, this is purely speculation, but I, I'm really with you, brother, on the frustration because when I lived in San Diego, um, believe it or not, I became wickedly lactose intolerant uh, I didn't know what to do. And that was actually back in the early 90s. So I couldn't, yeah. there, I didn't have a plethora of products that addressed that, you know, soy protein crap, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, where else do you go? You know, with this, uh, right. there was one product that it, that claimed it was lactose free, but just like with Dustin, I, I couldn't do it. So it, it makes you wonder, is there something else at work? You know, was, was I exposed to a virus when I was out West that, prevented me from producing lactase enzyme myself. And then when I moved back east, it corrected itself because I was no longer exposed to that virus. I don't know. I mean, there are so many weird things at work here. But like I said, with the coffee, it might have something to do with the compounds in the coffee. we got to remember coffee is not just liquid caffeine. It may be some of the acids or it may be some of the effects that we know coffee has on how things move through your gut. John, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but... You know that's a, a, yeah. I mean, you're you're more nutritional expert than I am, but I've been lactose intolerant all my life, and I've gone through my series of you know products and milks and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to have um, soy milk years ago. This was like in the you know early you know two thousands or whatever, 
Um, and then I went on um, almond, I had almond milk for a long time. But almond milk, I mean, it, although it's it's nice to drink, it, there's not really like there's not really much nutritional value in almond milk. There's no protein. Yeah. You know? um, and so the last, and then well, actually when I moved, um, when I was living in Albuquerque, finishing up my dissertation, I actually had um, organic grass fed like raw raw milk um, from a local dairy supplier, and mm-hmm. it was. By far the best thing I've ever had in my life. Could you digest um, it? Absolutely. I had really? No, I had no headaches. I had no circles under my eyes. I didn't have gas. I didn't have any GI distress. Um, and then since I since I've been living in St. Louis, um, now I drink. You can buy it in stores. I actually buy mine at, at Whole Foods because I can buy four gallons and get a. <laughs> I can buy four <laughs> gallons and get a ten percent discount. <laughs> uh, but I actually buy a brand name called a. Uh, Kelowna Supernatural, um, and it's um, you know organic as well. I mean, I believe it's um, grass fed. I have to look at the label a little more specifically, but I drink that, and the, the exact same thing. I don't get circles under my eyes. I don't get real tired. I don't get headaches. I don't get GI distress. Wow. And I, I mean, I, I drink a good gallon a week. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, and you know, uh, now is that unpasteurized? That can't be unpasteurized if they're selling it at the store, though. Um, it's. It, it's non non homogenized. Okay, yeah. the only thing I'm thinking of there's another thing at work here. Potentially would be that at least this is a little bit off of Dustin's question, but yet the bacteria present in non pasteurized milk, you know, uh, in other words, raw milk, yeah, might actually help with some of those sorts of symptoms. But you're not going to see that a lot because I mean, the it, it, when you drink raw milk. I mean, you better have a trusted farmer right next door kind of thing, in, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you can't get something on the sh- that sits on the shelf for several days. If, if they don't pasteurize it, right, if they don't kill off a lot, some of the baseline bacteria. And I know they kill some of the good bacteria along with the bad, but I think you got to understand the food industry, too. You can't have farmers putting milk on the shelves in a grocery store for, like, one day, and then they ch- they just throw it away. Yeah, it's it's just such a waste. So people, I know a lot of raw milk pundits call it dead milk and this and that. But I do think it's interesting playing with, like you said, different experiments: goat's milk, pasteurized, unpasteurized, different kinds of homogenization. Um, so I'm actually on their their, their website, Colonas, and um, it's actually um, milk from Iowa um, Amish and Mennonite farms, and it meets standards of non-homogenized, grass-fed, bass pasteurized. Grade A USDA certified organic and kosher certified. Wow! So, um, yeah, I mean it's um, it's like six dollars per gallon. Um, well, it's a specialty product, you know. So yeah, but yeah. It's, I mean, it's, dude, it's 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 awesome. I mean, if you want to put on some weight, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, and you know what? I mean, this is something to consider too. I mean, maybe instead of well, it sounds like Justin's figured it out. He's got the right combination for himself with the with the coffee, the, the perfect temperature coffee. But, yeah, maybe you just don't do it with protein powders. I mean, you can get an awful lot of protein from food, you know. So, okay, I got one last thing, and then we really got to go to break. We're taking a little too long here. But uh, if any of our listeners listen through an Android uh, portable device, I would love for you to just fire us a- an email. Uh, I know that, uh, like, I got uh, some message from Google recently that, were accessible through Google Play, and I actually uh, met with a guy recently who started the Satchel podcast player. Uh, He runs a completely different genre of podcast, but the point being is Satchel is also available on Google Play. So I'm, I'm just trying to play around with some of these different apps and devices, and because I tend to do stuff through either my PC, uh, you know, iTunes through my my big desktop computer or on my iPhone, but I don't have an Android, so I'm curious about how some of these things look. You know, frankly, how you access it, whether it's Google Play or the Satchel Podcast Player specifically, or I'm just not an Android guy. So, yeah, if anybody wants either. to give us feedback, gotta reach the masses. Right. Okay, we're gonna go to break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about bad idea, good idea. And we'll go through several different iterations of a lifter's lifestyle. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you 
uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, we're back from break, and this is Dr. John Mike with the almighty uh, Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And today's topic is good idea, bad idea. And, you know, this could be things with lifting, nutrition, and it actually made me think of one. Um, several years ago, when I was training for a contest, uh, a friend of mine, um, Jeremy, and I, this was about probably four weeks out. From the contest, and we decided to uh, hit up Mickey D's, and <laughs> and so we went there about two or three times a week um, for mainly lunch. Um, and I would get like um, I don't I didn't get burgers because I don't eat you know fast food burgers unless they're from uh, In and Out. For those that are, are listening on the West Coast or Arizona or even uh, Texas. But uh, or even Nevada, but we would I would go there about two or three times a week, and I would get like a couple, like maybe two or three, like chicken sandwiches, some fries, um, um, and you know Diet Coke. You know, obviously, got to hit the Diet Coke, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, so we did that about two or three times a week for about three or four weeks leading up to the contest, and mainly just to kind of pack on calories and put on weight and stuff. And probably about after the third time, I mean, we just felt like shit. <laughs> and, and but um, you know, we we did. I did. I did good in the contest. I think I got like second or third. But the 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 point I'm trying to make is is that you know, if you want to just put on, if you just need to put on weight, weight, and you don't really care about you know body composition, that's probably one strategy. Even though I I would not recommend it, but. Um, even though McDonald's is certainly not real food, it does get you big. Um, so that's kind of one of the stories, um, you know, th that I have and um, about things about like not to do. Um, you certainly don't want to drink Mountain Dew or beer 
uh, post-workout. I've done that too earlier on in my training career. Mm-hmm. It felt like crap. I think I put on like, you know, it felt like I put on like 3% body composition overnight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just getting fat just because, yeah. Honestly, like because I remember in my younger days in undergrad, I was asking like, you know, what's a good, uh, you know, post-workout, uh, you know, beverage to have. And one of my professors at the time, it was like Mountain Dew. I was like, what? You know, and this, I was really young and naive. I, I, didn't, I mean, this is before I even um, right. matriculated further. But I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just try it. And I had it. And, oh, my God, I felt like crap. You know, Mountain Dew was like probably this, literally like the worst. Drink. You know what, John? I think you probably agree with me then that like the if it fits your macros, guys, uh, I'm just, I, I can't say I'm in agreement. I, I get their point, you know, but at the same time, if you're getting your carbohydrates from Mountain Dew and your protein sources, you know, and fats from McDonald's, you feel like crap sometimes. Uh, I mean, you know, with that sort of dirty bulk sort of idea, as opposed if you did it with something, you know, like your, your carbs are from yams and your, your proteins from chicken or whatever, your fats from avocados. It's, it's just different to me, you it know? Is, yeah. And it's a long-term effect. I think it's the slow accumulative effect of those those phytochemicals, of course, in the in the plants, and even the zoochemicals in the in the meats. And like you know, you're you're actually kind of a snob, John, when it comes to nutrition, because you know you go for this. Real, I mean, I know you have a digestive issue with the milk, but you know you love your grass-fed products and you know and stuff like that. Yeah, I like grass-fed butter, grass-fed meat. I mean, and I'm not. I mean, I buy that stuff, but I'm not. Like when I go out to restaurants or whatever, I'm not like, hey, can I have some grass-fed butter and grass-fed meat? Sure, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I typically you know take take it easy a little bit, but um, yeah, I'm kind of a I'm somewhat of a snob. But I mean, I just it's just come with experience and you know wisdom and just getting more knowledge about. Well, it's you the know, quality, food. you know. It's exactly, the, it's the quality of the I mean, foods. And, and, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and there, I mean, and to to be fair, you actually can get rather healthy choices at some fast food places um you know salads but you certainly need to maybe watch the dressings and i'll tell you what i actually like and this is going to kind of sound totally against my snobbiness if you will mm-hmm. but i actually think chick-fil-a is, is pretty good um, you know <laughs> yeah. they actually do they actually do a pretty good job get um, a big piece know, of chicken clean chicken yeah, yeah. yeah clean chicken a couple of chicken sandwiches um so it's it's good. So that's my experience. Don't have any Mountain Dew or beer post workout. Um, don't eat McDonald's two or three times a week leading up to a show unless you just really want to really mess up, um, you know, your metabolic pathways and cause a lot of you know insulin types of damage and, and, and glucose um, chaos. Disposal. Right. You so. know, the flip side of that. Uh, mine's very brief as far as a bad idea. We'll stick with eating here before we move on, but. Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I was uh, a teenager and I was reading Muscle and Fitness and Flex, I mean, just religiously reading that stuff. And, you know, I kind of think about this. So you're talking throughout the 80s, uh, early 90s, and we were in that don't eat fat era. And I wouldn't eat anything with more than 200 milligrams of sodium, I'm not kidding, or three grams of fat. And I really think that severely limited my gains. I I mean, I was in track, martial arts, and lifting. And, you know, so my energy balance was so negative, it was just ridiculous. And my weight gain was practically non-existent until I actually removed some of the the sports, you know, to correct the positive energy balance. But it wasn't until much later that I would loosen up and actually eat something with more than three grams of fat or 200 milligrams of sodium. And those of you guys who look at labels, you're probably thinking, God, that's ridiculously strict. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And, you know, I was always super lean. I mean, I was actually negative percent fat in the underwater weighing tank when I was an undergrad. <laughs> that's awesome. But but the pro- and, and we actually used the blackmail formula for me, you know, because it adjusts for the differences in bone density and stuff. And then then I got more realistic single-digit numbers. But I paid the price, right? I was I – was, uh, I was scrawny, you know, so, uh, yeah, that was something that I had to overcome that energy balance and that strictness, you know, on a positive thing. Let me offer a positive thing. Well, John, you think about something, but when I last competed, uh, it was 2011, 2012, I think, uh, I thought, you know, I'm in my early forties. I better do something more dramatic. So 
I actually did sort of a pulse fast on Fridays where or a leucine fast kind of where I would take just half a scoop of whey or whey casein blend, literally just like eight, 10 grams of protein. And I would put a couple of grams of leucine in there. And I would sip that every 90 minutes or so out of a giant jug. I actually pre-prepared the jug and all day, you know, every 90 minutes I would sip some just enough to keep you from dying of starvation. I mean, you are hungry, but the whole idea is keep insulin really low because, you know, you can't just pound huge amounts of protein because your blood sugar will go up. I mean, a lot of those amino acids are glucogenic and you'll get a blood sugar response too. So the whole idea was just once a week to try to, break the bonds of constant high insulin from eating all the time because you guys know how bodybuilders eat every you know every two hours you're eating essentially as much as you can and i've become a big eater over the years so i thought i need something dramatic and once a week i would trickle in you know the basically low dose protein with some leucine you know to try to maximize the muscle protein synthesis response and i really think that helped by the time i was eight to ten weeks into my 20 week diet. I, I do fairly long diets, but I was really getting lean. And that was before the use of any kind of dietary stimulants or the other kind of things that come in late later in a diet. Uh, I was definitely getting leaner from that. And I don't think I was losing mass. Uh, I've always prided myself on the ability to drop 25, even 30 pounds with only sink, you know, maybe three or four or five pounds of muscle lost. Uh, and that's a pretty good ratio. Uh, for someone who, you know, I'll just say was hormonally challenged <laughs> compared to the the competition. So uh, those once a week, like I said, on Fridays, I would do sort of that pulse fast. I will warn people, though, if you're interested in doing that as a way to lean down, it's got to be part of a more comprehensive process. By itself, it won't work magic. And also on the following day, like for me on Saturdays, I'd have to be careful not to go nuts and just you know, pound the, like go to McDonald's, like, you know, John was saying and just and wig out because you're, you're every enzyme in your fat tissue is eager to store as much as possible in that rebound day or two. So you got to be careful with, with the rebound side of that. But on a positive thing, I think that was actually a good idea for me. Like I said, I needed something really dramatic, uh, just to keep my insulin down one day a week, you know, so. Uh, anything positive that you really think you did right, John? Oh, gosh. I think um, probably over the last couple of years, one of the best things that I've done with my training is just go to the conjugate training system, the conjugate training method, um, incorporating you know a little bit more rotation, um, not only exercises, um, but just different angles, uh, different specialty bars, bands, chains, you know, moving away from um, – you know, when I was in my mid-20s, mid-late 20s, I mean, I would do a lot of, you know, heavier lifting, like more, probably more max effort stuff. Um, and then when I went to conjugate, you know, I could, because of the dynamic effort and rep method, I can train, you know, harder and more frequently without doing um, as much max effort work all the time. Like I just, my, I did a max effort. Um, I pulled, um, deadlifted 650 to about 660 two weeks ago. Ooh, boom. Um, so, you know, no straps, um, just kind of a, a low really low block off the floor is only probably about um, maybe 11 inches off the floor. So you know, pretty um, um, really close to the floor, um, mm-hmm. off the floor actually. And um, so I had like 550 bar weight on there uh, with over 100 pounds of, you know, um, orange band tension. So just a belt, no straps. And, um, you know, the last time I pulled max effort was early February and it was uh, like 630, 640. So I moved up, you know, um, 20 pounds, 20 to 25 pounds. So the whole method's um, working. Yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's been working over the last couple of years. So um, I rotate out with, you know, dynamic upper and lower body days. Um, hey, John, so let, me, right, let me pause yeah. you there. Can you define for listeners what you mean by dynamic days? Yeah, so like dynamic effort is really just speed work. Um, that's really all it is. So utilizing anywhere from maybe 30 to 50% um, of, you know, of, of max effort mm-hmm. um, so 30 to 50 percent and you're using it for speed it could be anywhere from maybe you know say for example eight eight sets of two eight sets of three up to 10 to 12 sets of two to three reps typically like in bench um you typically want to stick to triples or reps of three because if you can think about it um you should be able to do one rep you know per second uh for for speed work so mm-hmm. uh squat is usually reps or doubles or two reps 
Um, and you can use accommodating resistance, you know, with those things. Um, but, you know, if you think about the force velocity curve, you know, most people would just train um, at max efforts too often and, and, and too much, and they don't focus on the other angles or aspects of the curve. Right, you know, yes. Whether it's, pow- whether it's power or, or strength speed, which is strength speed is just strength in the conditions of speed. So they're actually lifting heavier weights faster um, or speed strength, which is speed in the conditions of strength, which is moving lighter weights faster, even just or just or even just speed work, which is more just pure velocity and acceleration, and, you know, or explosive power like plow metrics and jumps and that. Right, thing. and it gives your body um, a break from just the max effort, heavy, yeah, heavy weight. Right, and what I what I what I've mentioned in like all of my classes and stuff is that most people just want to focus too much on max strength, and then when they don't focus on the other aspects of training and training methods, over time, their max strength is going to suffer because of it. Because most of your performance increases and gains that you get really come from submax training, um, yeah, and really yeah. and really working on your on your on your weak points. So um, that's one of the best things that I've done in my training. Just really continue to hammer weak points um, and just do all the little s- small things very well. Um, you know whether they're like band pull aparts and you know shoulder stability, core stability. You know different angles, chops, lifts. Uh, you know, get ups. Um, I started doing some upper body like agility ladder drills. Oh, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to kind of throw in some different. I did um, a forty inch box jump a few weeks ago with a fifty pound weight vest on. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, you got uh, damn. And, uh, be careful, man. You're off. You're a big dude. I, I, I can't. I mean, I cleared it pretty well. I mean, it's on my Instagram. You can you can look it up. Um, wow. So I usually post most of my training vids like to uh, to Instagram, but yeah, that's probably one of the, the best things I've done over the last couple of years is just go and switch to conjugate training and um, you know some more work capacity. I can train more, um, and you know, and, and I, I, I feel great. I mean, um, you know, some days are better than others, but that's probably one of the best things that I've done. Well, I think you need a lot of volume. Can you tell listeners how big are you? How tall and how heavy are you? Just to remind uh, I'm them, I'm almost six four, and now I'm um, two ninety three. Mm. Yeah, so, so Dr. Mike's a big dude, so yeah. <laughs> I can see where – like I am on the other end of the spectrum with a lot of that stuff. Like you talk about some people, they need a lot of volume even with eccentric you know, contractions. I'm not one of them. I can make myself so sore I can barely move with probably something like five sets of five, you know. just yeah. It just depends. I, I think some of it's experience too though because I can really kind of – focus on a particular muscle that sort of mind in the muscle kind of old school bodybuilding concept too whereas some people they don't know how to engage their lats or you know different things like that but uh let's go down because we're running out of time here what about supplements if i can pin you down on a topic uh was there a supplement that you ever tried it was a bad idea and then maybe one that was a good idea yeah i think uh years ago and when it was popular uh was that cell tech shit uh, I, don't, I don't even know is that even still around i'm not sure rob always ripped on those guys oh of course my gosh. You know. that was um i mean I, I would probably would have rather take pure cane sugar and just drink it yeah, uh, than, yeah. That, than that crap it was so gross it was just loaded with just pure sugar and i mean it was almost i mean i i had it um, but uh, it, it was, I almost got nauseous. I always thought that stuff was a ripoff just because, I mean, there was a whole series of products there that you're paying premium dollar, like 60, $60 for a canister of the stuff uh-huh. that's, like you said, it's 90% sucrose. It's just table sugar. I mean, you could buy that for dirt cheap and add a little bit of creatine yourself exactly. instead of paying premium price for essentially sugar. And, yeah. and like you said, like nasty Kool-Aid flavor sugar. It was that's what it, that's really what it was. It was it was gross. It had like no. Had that's no, funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, and then um, what is that? I mean, they still sell it obviously today, like the hydroxy cut stuff. Um, and uh, you know, and most of those things that people don't understand, and even some pre workouts these days, um, you know, they put niacin in there, and you know, other you know other B vitamins, and kind of you know get your heart rate up. You know, um, you know fairly high depending on the type of exercise intensity that you're doing but um there's a whole buttload of of products out there that um um are are just not worth it gimmicky Um, yeah yeah um so those things what about good though good supplements i would definitely say um not any order but fish oils leucine um um vitamin d oh yeah yeah um and um like good quality magnesium and zinc. 
You know, um, that's interesting you said that because uh, uh, Kelly and I are on a magnesium and zinc kind of kick, really. Um, both of us had slightly elevated blood pressure. And when I was heavier, you know, when I walk around at 230 uh, for me, which I don't plan on doing anymore, I know why my blood pressure was up, you know. But now at, at around 210, I shouldn't have elevations like that. And part of it's because I'm deconditioned a little bit from work and school and everything. But um, I, I was specifically addressing it with trying to get more – I always get plenty of calcium from milk because I'm like you. I, I drink a gallon of milk a week probably. But trying to get magnesium uh, in there as well, potassium, uh, those sorts of things. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that there are some minerals you want to seek if you're mildly hypertensive. It's not just avoid the sodium. Sodium avoidance only helps about a half of the population with high blood pressure, believe it or not. Not everyone is sodium sensitive. But aside from avoiding the sodium, there are things like magnesium that have a relaxing effect apparently on both your arteries, arterioles, and your muscles. I mean, I know a lot of guys probably like you, John, zinc, magnesium, it just helps you relax at night. It has a general muscle relaxant uh, uh, quality. But I've been trying to focus more on that kind of stuff too. So Kelly and I are actually taking like a zinc magnesium thing and uh, a little bit of extra potassium and and that sort of thing, you know. So yeah, that's a good one too. You know, as far as negative for me, uh, there's, I've wasted money on so many products over the years. God, I remember when I was 16 years old, I've, I've told this story before, but I mowed lawns all summer to save enough to buy a box of those Joe Weeder. They were called anabolic <laughs> mega packs. Nice. And it's a little, it's a, they came in the, you know, the little foil squares, like a two inch by two inch foil envelope thing. And, uh, there was a bunch of these thrown into a box, you know, maybe the size of a half of a cereal box. And it was basically a mix of vitamins and minerals and a few amino acids. And there was these uh, steroidal claims, you know, effective as steroids and this and that. And ironically, later when I was in graduate school, I I kind of, in a way, I got my money back because the the federal government really slammed Weeder uh, pretty hard for making those steroid-like claims. Because, again, there was kids like me just, you know, wasting a summer's worth of <laughs> money on this shit. And – um and there's nothing wrong with vitamins and minerals and, you know, a handful of amino acids. But unlike what we know with leucine and stuff, it, it wasn't that. And it certainly wasn't a steroid alternative. Anyway, part of the sanctions against Weeder was that they had to fund real protein or muscle building research. And some of that money went to Peter Lemon in the Kent State Lab. Well, that was right by my house. And I eventually became one of Peter Lemon's graduate assistants. <laughs> so... Uh, I got to use some of the equipment from the penalties uh, for that very product that I bought into, you know, mistakenly. And I'll, I'll say one other thing, too. I haven't really wasted a lot of money on this, but I know people who do. I have students ask me this all the time. Uh, testosterone boosters. Yeah. Don't bother. I mean, there are so many herbal – and you could find some indirect evidence. Uh, I am just not a fan. I think what you can do with food uh, can create – more testosterone or less of the binding proteins that tie up your testosterone. I really think you could do this much better with food than spending 50 bucks on a, you know, a little bottle of herbal testosterone booster. Yeah, and the thing is with those like test boosters is that they're they're not even like it's beyond it's not it's not even really bioavailability. It's like they go through a completely different pathway to actually increase like even modest amounts of testosterone. You know, so they a lot of times they go through like the luteinizing hormone like pathway, and you yeah, know, it's it's just uh, yeah, it's just um, those are kind of a they're kind of a waste, but um, so yeah, those are um, some of the things I think that we've done very good um, in terms of training, nutrition, and, and things that are that not so good, um, and something that was at least on the good side. I mean, I've I've continued to. You know, foam roll and, and then do continue to do T spine and hip mobility work to um, just be able to move. And uh, it's it's funny because, I mean, I know I'm in my mid 30s, but I can move better um, and, and more in shape than a lot of my students. You know, John, I need you to send me send me some YouTube videos or some you know basically a series of workout kind of movements that I can do for those sorts of things because I am so bad about doing that stuff. And the older I get, I'm really paying for it. You know, I think what you do is good for your health in general too. Yeah, and I do a lot of – I mean I do um, 
you know, cardio and conditioning as well. And something that I've actually been doing the last, I don't know, month and a half, few months, I've actually started to do more intra-set, like, conditioning. Um, so between, like, the rest periods, I'll go, like, maybe push the prowler. Just It doesn't have to be really heavy. It could just be, like, empty um, for, like, you know, 45 seconds to a minute. Just keep just moving? Kinda, just kind of do, like, some um, – I'm not a – I can jump rope, um, but, like, the heavy pounding over the course of, a, like, a short-term period um, kind of gets my yes, it, ankles kind of tight. But I just hear because, you. Just because you're just heavier and got more body weight. Um, but I'll actually do just like some kind of like just jumping and moving around, just kind of like um, you know shadow boxing type of thing. Um, and between, um, like I said, interest set types of conditioning, and it's it helps. Like I'm not tired during my workouts. I'm not tired. Like when I go home, I mean, I'm just I'm just hungry, and I could be up till you know twelve thirty one a.m. if I really wanted to, but I can't because I need to sleep. No, I'm telling you though, <laughs> so. dude. Plus one to that because I have been trying. Some of the listeners know I haven't spoken about this much, but uh, I didn't even get a gym membership for the last two months. I've been lifting in my basement and I've been jogging. And you know what? I, I I'm a very small framed person, so two ten is a lot on my ankles. When you mention ankles, maybe think of this. I have been beating the hell out of myself, but with jogging sucks. Yeah. It just sucks. I'm, I've, as soon as I get back to the gym, I need to do more of what you're talking about. I can get a lot of the same conditioning without that long, slow, steady bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. my ankles hurt, my hips and knees hurt. I think especially my ankles, and some of that is because I'm a middle-aged guy now, but. Just not a fan. There are so many better ways, and I don't want to offend the people out there who are joggers, but it's not for me. I mean, I've been right. I've been doing this in earnest for two months, and I think I have built my aerobic base a little bit, but with an orthopedic price, it, it just brutal. Yeah, and also stresses different energy systems too. Um, you agreed. Know, and, and no, that, agreed. That, that affect you know your recovery. So yeah. I'd rather do something intense and then have some of the aerobic conditioning happen during the interval in between the intervals you know, the recovery like get my aerobic benefits in the recovery instead of trying to do the long slow steady whatever okay i'll tell you what we have used up our time slot and i think i might take our last one we didn't really get to this but i think it'd be good to have a whole episode actually bad idea good idea when it comes to psychosocial things yeah so look for that in the future i mean because there's so many things on this list think about like habits have you ever been in a habit for an extended period of time that was good or bad because people are creatures of habit sometimes it's mindset uh you know positivity meditation how you're thinking about things being in the moment so maybe it's peers have you been around peers that helped or or hurt your training goals mentors i know phil's uh, had some very notable mentors uh, or even gyms that you've been in so i think we'll devote a whole episode to the psychosocial one uh as well so okay well we are out of time so thanks my man for helping us out another week absolutely thank you and phil will be back with us uh next week uh once his um you know (laughs) it's like a world tour world tour of power meets here yeah and i got two travels coming up uh mike nelson and i will be in um, austin at paleo fx speaking next weekend and then the following weekend very cool i'll be in new jersey speaking okay yeah and you know the week after that i think it it, i believe it's june 11th uh the show i'm gonna have to record from a hotel room because i'll be down in clearwater for the issn conference down there so we make it happen you know there's there's several of us here several of the hosts so All right, we'll see everybody next time. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. 
And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each haul of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding. And the Iron Radio broadcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.